name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. We've got a super fascinating guest for you today on a topic that you may or may not know a lot about, but certainly if it's new to you, it will be interesting because it's new to me too. Uh, we've got Phoebe Lapine, who is a chef, writer, culinary instructor, and blogger, and has two books out, the latest of which is called SIBO Made Simple. Phoebe Lapine, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't even have a great opening question other than tell me your story, right? So it seems like your mom was super into healthy and organic and all of that. And then you went on like a culinary rebellion and then belly karma <laughs> kind of got you. Oh my gosh. Belly karma was serious. So yeah. talk to me, tell me all the things. So when I was 22, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And that was kind of my first big health scare. And, um, you know, most most 22-year-olds, I don't know. Actually, I don't know how many people know what a thyroid was or what an autoimmune disease was. I certainly didn't at the time, and I didn't care to find out. I was very scared by the diagnosis, but I was you know, not mature enough to like really deal with it, so I just kind of pretended the conversation never happened and went on living my life. I was like, nah, I'm not going to take this medication that I you say I need to be on for the rest of my life. I feel fine, whatever. Um, and then I ironically around the same time, like quit my my day job in corporate America to work in food full time and to be a private chef and a caterer. And I was just hustling all over the city. I live in New York and it was very physical. And I very quickly wound myself down to like some sort of rock bottom. My skin was a mess. My hair was like falling out. I was had to stop exercising because I was literally so weak and sore and would get like cramps every time I tried to run. Um, I had terrible insomnia and night sweats and yeah, of course was exhausted all the time. That's like number one Hashimoto symptom. And yeah, eventually I kind of, um, it was, well, my digestion was also a mess. PS. Um, <laughs> eventually I saw a more integrative physician and finally took the leap to like do an elimination diet and change some things about my lifestyle. But, you know, someone who worked in the food world, even someone with a mom who was, you know, like an early adopter of quinoa and millet and all the kind of crunchy granola foods that are like pretty, um, normalized today, I was still like super scared of having to cut anything out of my diet and not be an omnivore. Um, so then that kind of, you know, the the pendulum swung from denial to like more overwhelm and obsession. And eventually I kind of had, you know, to take a step back and be like, what in this crazy world of wellness slash like holistic um, approaches to healing autoimmune disease is actually worth my time, money, and energy. And that's kind of how I ended up writing my last book, which was like my first real foray into health writing and health focused food. Um, it was called the wellness project. And it was based on a real life experiment that I did for a year and kind of distilling all of my problem areas. And there are a lot of them <laughs> into kind of like the basic categories. So like hydration, diet, of course, exercise, sleep, um, you know, posture slash alignment, um, hormone balancing, gut health, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I thought I knew everything there was to know about gut health after all my research and the 
project was incredible. It really did pay off like my numbers in terms of my thyroid health and my nutrient deficiencies kind of were night and day by the end. And more importantly, I really felt like I had a handle on like what it takes for me to feel good day in and day out without being obsessive and without letting kind of healthy living take over my life. Um, and then, yeah, that was kind of like chapter one. So, so tell me about SIBO. What does it stand for? How is it related to all the gut microbiome? I mean, we could play like, you know, buzzword bingo with all this stuff. And then how does that relate back to the thyroid disorder and other autoimmune disorders? Totally. So yeah, so SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And it was something that I was diagnosed with right after my book came out and I started to experience some unfortunate IBS symptoms creeping back into my life. Um, But essentially it's kind of an acute issue um, in the small intestines, like I mentioned. And, you know, it's a little bit of a misconception with all the buzzwords that get thrown around that, you know, your quote unquote gut health is like your entire digestive tract. When in reality, kind of the majority of your good slash or bad um, microbes are living in your large intestine. That's kind of where they have a role in facilitating the end of your digestive process. Um, But in the small intestine, that is where you absorb your nutrients and kind of break down the most essential parts of your food to like eat them for lack of a better, better analogy. To absorb them. Yes, exactly. And so if there are bacteria present in too large numbers, they're going to be competing for those nutrients. And also as they eat them and release gas, that causes kind of this whole downward, downwind spectrum of problems. Um, So that is kind of what the, what happens in the case of SIBO and it's fairly new and kind of the diagnostic criteria. There are still a lot of GIs who are not well-versed in it or who don't believe in it. Um, The test is a breath test. We were talking about it offline. It's not the easiest thing to administer. And, you know, it's, it's a bit labor intensive. It's not just like a blood test or a stool test, which I know most people are like, well, stool tests aren't that easy. I'm like, well, compared to this, they are, they are. Um, but essentially when you were talking about the test and I went down a complete rabbit hole of trying to figure out how to get tested, because as I'm reading this book about SIBO, all of a sudden I'm convinced I have it right. Cause that's what happens. And it's, it reminded me of the, um, gestational diabetes test Mm. where you have to drink the icky stuff and then you have to wait and then you have to drink more icky stuff and then you have to wait. And it's like a three hour ordeal. Yep. That sounds similar. (laughs) You don't have to breathe into anything for that, but that's kind of what, you know, was an analogy for me. Exactly. It's very similar. Um, So anyway, so they say um, recent research, and there's still a lot of kind of unknowns about SIBO that it is probably responsible for over 60% of all IBS cases. And I think that's really interesting because, you know, as we know, IBS is kind of a wastebasket diagnosis. We don't really have like an answer for the mechanism of what's going wrong. And SIBO similarly is not like a disease. It's a sign that something's gone wrong, but we know more specifics on what mechanisms those are and kind of the very long laundry list of diseases and lifestyle and issues and medications and whatnot that could contribute to someone developing SIBO. Um, But 
kind of where it gets confusing is that a lot of the time, kind of the recommendations for someone with SIBO, since it is kind of an acute issue and it's an issue of location, not type, is to do the opposite of what kind of every microbiome specialist will tell you to do to nurture your good gut bacteria. Because, you know, if you do those things and they're in this place too far up, it can make you really uncomfortable. And in reality, we want to be, you know, kind of coaxing those guys back to their rightful home. And, you know, more often than not for a treatment, like actually just killing them. (laughs) (laughs) And hoping they grow back in the right spot. Exactly. Has any, have you ever spent some time thinking about how food allergies fit into SIBO and the whole microbiome thing as an, I mean, food allergies fall under the category of autoimmune disorder, right? And then a lot of a lot of yeah. conversation happens around when people outgrow it, maybe because their you know gut biome has gotten healthier, or adult onset allergies, or maybe because their gut biome has gotten worse. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, given how much time you spend thinking about this. Yeah, it was actually something that I wrote about in the book without a whole lot of evidence to back it up. Just it was my it was my own personal hypothesis and musing that absolutely food sensitivities can be. Um, a contributing factor to, or a risk factor for SIBO. We know that SIBO is for sure a risk factor for food sensitivities because one of those downwind side effects of having bacteria in a place that's not designed to withstand them is that they can um, disrupt the integrity of your intestinal wall of these tight junctions. And that is what most people colloquially call leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And that is usually kind of in the gut world, the main reason why someone would experience some sort of autoimmune um, reaction type food sensitivity. Um, Because then, you know, pieces of that food or, you know, potentially even like little bits of the bacteria themselves can leach out into the bloodstream and cause a lot of systemic inflammation. When there's SIBO, you know, and those bacteria are present, they can be incredibly disruptive. So there's a lot of local inflammation that's happening. And certainly, you know, once they kind of breach your very thin mucus barrier in the small intestine, then your immune system gets involved and your immune system doesn't recognize bacteria as, you know, yourself because they're not their other. And that can lead to, again, just like a bit of fog of war in the gut itself. And unfortunately, um, if leaky gut becomes an issue, which it often does, then that's kind of why SIBO has, in addition to the like classic IBS symptoms, a whole other laundry list of like autoimmune spectrum um, type symptoms, because, you know, that type of systemic inflammation can manifest in different ways for everyone. It could be joint pain. It could be skin rashes. It could be, you know, just noticing food sensitivities, so many different things. So there's a lot of similarities here. I mean... I obviously I'm a woman, I've got some autoimmune stuff going on, food allergies, whatever. It does seem like a lot more women than men are affected by these things. And a lot more women kind of complain about these symptoms that, um, are maybe a little bit difficult to put into a diagnosis. And so there's some, I don't quite know what the word I'm looking for is, but you know, some kind of frustration maybe with the medical system and trying to figure this stuff out. Why do you think it affects women more than men? Um, well, there are so many different reasons. A lot of them still have kind of like question marks attached to them, but yes, autoimmune diseases, 75% affect women. Um, IBS slash SIBO, the exact same statistics, 75% women. 
the list of kind of concurrent risk factors or overlapping diseases with SIBO includes a ton of autoimmune diseases. Um, I will also say that like the gut and your hormones are so intertwined and having some sort of hormone dysfunction, hormonal dysfunction can cause, you know, some sort of autoimmune issue, you know, because of this dysfunction in the gut. So, um, we know that one in eight women have some sort of thyroid issue. We know that one, one in 10 women have endometriosis, Hashimoto's endometriosis, both big risk factors for SIBO. Um, and, you know, once you kind of develop the autoimmune variety of, well, of hypothyroidism, so Hashimoto's, you know, it, once we're kind of on the autoimmune spectrum, probably thanks to kind of a lot of these underlying root causes like leaky gut and whatnot, um, you're that much more at risk for other autoimmune diseases and other gut issues. It kind of becomes a vicious cycle. I have a lot of flow charts in my book um, that are like just the vicious cycle, but Hashimoto's and SIBO are one of those. Um, and I think I'll just illustrate it because I think it's interesting because it shows how just when one thing goes off, so many others follow. And, you know, in terms of the women versus men, we're just so much more finely calibrated and hormonally, like men are I on, like you know, we're on, men are on this like 24 hour cycle. We're like different depending on the day of the month. You have no idea. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a grab bag. Um, but I think that's the root cause of a lot of it. And certainly with the autoimmune diseases, I think there'll be some interesting research to come out of COVID um, in terms of women's ability to kind of stave off, you know, an acute damaging virus like COVID and our, you know, our having two X chromosomes can be a blessing and a curse um, for a lot of people with autoimmune disease. It ends up being a curse. Um, but okay. So Hashimoto's and SIBO. So when you don't have enough of your active thyroid hormone T3, um, which by the way, needs to be converted in your body and your liver, um, most synthetic hormones that people take over, not over the counter by prescription are just T4. So already it's, we can hypothesize that most people are not even getting enough of their active thyroid hormone. Um, because most of us do not have like high functioning <laughs> livers, um, especially if we're already dealing with Hashimoto's. So if you don't have enough of that T3, that is actually going to severely impact your gut. Downwind of that, you're not going to be able to produce enough stomach acid. That is kind of your first line of defense with bacteria just naturally coming in through your nose and mouth. Um, and then it's also going to impact this um, street sweeper mechanism in the small intestine called the migrating motor complex. And a lot of the research around SIBO has kind of honed in on this one particular function um, as kind of like the linchpin of what goes awry that can cause SIBO. So, you know, our small intestine is incredibly long and winding. It's got lots of nooks and crannies. It's like got a greater surface area than a football field. And in order to get food through it, you know, we have peristalsis. So this kind of muscular motion that kind of moves food through. But after a meal, there's, you know, think about a sludge going through some pipes. There's still a lot of debris. And especially when there are all those nooks and crannies, you need something that's going to clean up after the meal. And that is what the migrating motor complex does. It literally just kind of street sweeps all of that 
um, excess in between meals. It only kicks in during a fasting state of 90 minutes or more, which is really important in terms of the lifestyle um, element of SIBO prevention. And yeah, it's again, like if you don't have that functionality working on all cylinders, that's when a lot of buildup can happen. It can be buildup of food. It can be buildup of bacteria if they get past your your stomach acid, build up a fungi. Basically, it just kind of creates a an environment for an opportunist to take hold if there is one so available present. Just to just to pull a little thread there, if you don't fast for ninety minutes after you eat, your small intestine doesn't get street swept. Correct. So people who eat all day long, even if it's healthy snacks, you're missing out. It's. So- can, like water, can you have anything in that? Oh, water's minutes? fine. Yeah, but um, you know there are different different levels. Like nothing, like an almond is different than a smoothie. Then it's different than like lemonade. You know, certain things will shut it down for a smaller period of time. Um, but yeah, no. If you are <laughs> are constantly reaching for things, is just not the way our body was designed to digest. Um, it's not the way things worked back in the bush. We didn't have snacks available to us (laughs) to just munch on all day long while we were hungry. Um, no, we're used to having that rest time. So you found yourself in this kind of, uh, tornado of diagnoses and issues and (laughs) symptoms, right? And you decided, I think this is super fascinating. You decided to take a year and change 12 things, one a month, Mm -hmm. a Tell me all about that. And B, did you stick to all of them? Did um, any of them not have the effect you were thinking that they might? Hmm. That was so long ago. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> you know, once you write the book, I like black out the entire experience. But um, yes, so I intentionally had it be like not cumulative. It was not a gimmick. Like this was like a true exploration to like figure out what habits would actually be worth my my time. And obviously like you do kind of have to commit to doing something for a certain amount of time to see the physical benefits and to like, you know, both trick your body and your yourself mentally to make it into a habit. Um, but yeah, there were some little things that were, I were a little bit like wellnessy, um, practices like dry brushing and oil pulling. I tried, I don't even think I ended up writing about them. I was like, this is dumb. Like, no, not for me. Um, but most of the stuff was like really common sense, like, you know, really common sense practices, like sleeping eight hours a day, like easier said than done. So like, then you kind of drill down on like, okay, well, like what's sleep hygiene? What are the different changes I have to make in order to kind of fight this horrible insomnia I've been in for the last day? I was up at 2.30 last night. I hear Um, this. And I, okay. So one of the most, yeah, exactly. Um, Our bodies just need routine and you can, you can get off the insomnia, uh, I don't know what we call it. Train. It's horrible. The train. Yeah. <laughs> Vicious cycle. I don't know. Um, one of the most impactful ones was definitely the first one I did, which was the vice detox. So no caffeine, alcohol, or added sugar for a month, you know, in order to support that liver, because it's so important for, for me, Hashimoto's. that's three months. That's, that's not one change. That's three changes. I know you did know. it all at once, but holy moly, that must've been a miserable first couple of days. Oh, it was super, it was a miserable first week. Like sugar detox is no joke. Caffeine, I've 
taken out caffeine many times in my life. It's not a big deal. Like you'll have a raging headache, maybe day one, maybe day two, but sugar, like that's how I knew it was the sugar, like sugar just like flattened me out. Because again, it's like, it's really affecting like kind of your hormonal motherboard and your energy stores. Um, But, you know, so that was miserable. I totally agree, but it had such a huge physical impact. Like once I was through like the first two weeks, I was like, oh my God, like talk about like waking up bright eyed and bushy tailed, like before my alarm, which is unheard of. Um, My skin issues that I'd been dealing with like on and off for so many years, just like vanished. They didn't vanish, but like I had this um, rash called perioral dermatitis, which is just the most annoying um, (laughs) derm (laughs) affliction, I think. And it like for the first time in over a year, like it like started to clear and that was incredible. And of course I wasn't going to go, you know, my entire life (laughs) without these things. It was about finding moderation going forward, but it's still something that I kind of reach to if I'm ever run down or like, you know, I'm breaking out. I just can remember like the physical impact of that and be like, okay, I can do that for a week and see where that gets me. So from the changes that you've kept from that wellness project, which by the way, listeners is the name of the book, what do you stick to today and, and, and how kind of hardcore are you about it? Um, I was never that hardcore. I mean, that was kind of the whole point. The, my philosophy is healthy hedonism, which I kind of define as, you know, the things (laughs) that nourish your body, meeting the things that feed your spirit, or at least finding a nice balance between those two and, um, being able to pull from that middle of that Venn diagram (laughs) all the time. And for me, that like really means knowing my hard lines and where my, my, where my wiggle room is. That was kind of like the whole point of the project. And I don't have many hard lines. Like my one hard line is gluten. I don't eat gluten. It's, I don't react well to it. It's not good on paper for Hashimoto's folks. And yeah, felt the physical ramifications on top of that. Um, But other than that, you know, it's healthy hedonism is kind of this, it's abstract. Like you kind of have to know yourself and know how you want to feel that day and kind of weigh the scales on any given moment. Um, So I have like a lot of practices in my toolkit. I think by far, like in terms of the year, the easiest changes were the ones I just had to make once and then never think about again. Um, Like getting a really good filter on my tap water that like takes a lot of the toxic burden um, off the table. And then again, like, you know, just never have to think about it again until a year later when you have to replace the filter. Um, And, you know, switching my beauty and personal care products to naturals was another one. It was something that definitely took a lot of time. Like, I don't even think I really got through my cleaning products by the end of the project. Um, But in the years since I've, you know, slowly kind of um, reworked those. But even though like, you know, I have to buy more things all the time, you know, it's just kind of the mental jump and like, oh, like those products don't work. Like, well, you know, it's just like finding the ones that you like is part of the process. But then once you get there, like, it's easy. It's like, I'm never going back. Um, so those were, were two kind of big categories. Um, trying to think what else you guys can't see Phoebe, but her skin is spectacular. So something in there worked. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what the change was, but well, you know, Good. I've actually been doing a vice detox for the last week. Um, there you go. I was just feeling run down. I was like, I need to to get this under control. And Can you just do the sugar or do you have to take the caffeine too? 
Um, I mean, I really think you'll find there's a difference when you take, you don't have to. and I are super close friends as are Sugar and I, but I, I don't know which one would be more difficult. I know a lot of women though, caffeine is not the friend to their skin and their face. Um, cause it's hormonal. I mean, it affects your hormones, but you kind of have to find again, like find your happy medium. I go through phases, like caffeine was the easiest one for me to give up. So I missed it the least. I didn't really go back to drinking coffee much during my entire year. I still don't really drink it sometimes, you know, I'll obviously like be, have more indulgent times and you fall off the wagon and just, or, I mean, it's not even the wagon, just like indulge a little bit more and have some lattes and whatnot. But it just, I, it just doesn't agree with me. Like the payoff isn't there. I'll have like sips of my husband's to like, you know, get the taste. Yeah. If someone was going to make one change, what, what would you recommend? Oh boy. I mean, stress management was the hardest month for me. And it's one that I still struggle with. But I think if you were to kind of focus anywhere that would have like the biggest, the biggest impact, impact on your health, yeah. it would be stress management. And then, you know, that's very different for everyone. I can't, I don't like people who are just like, just meditate. Cause you know, that doesn't work for everyone. I mean, from an emotional standpoint, you know, physically it probably does work for everyone if you can manage to sit down for 20 minutes twice a day, but it's just not everyone's cup of tea and that's totally fine. There are lots of other tools to choose from in your kit. Yeah, no doubt. So I want to talk about the whole organic thing. Cause that's something that you mentioned a lot with regard to your mom. I don't remember if it was one of the changes that you made, you know, moving from kind of regular grocery store produce to a more kind of organic thing, but what are your thoughts on GMOs and pesticides and organic versus not organic and all of that good stuff? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's ideal (laughs) to avoid the pesticides as much as possible to shop local, shop organic. I actually did. I I can't remember if I ended up writing about it in the book, but I did a a fun, totally non-scientific experiment with my friends. Um, I had them, I had like a lot of people come over just like at any time during one day to taste three different carrots, local, organic, (laughs) and conventional. And we also did um, water. We did tap, filtered, and bottled. It was very fun to see. No one got them all right. Not a single person. But um, in terms of, you know, the actual health benefits, organic is obviously getting more and more watered down. I think local and kind of like small, small batch is, um, is the more impactful. And certainly from like a a flavor standpoint, um, you know, kind of these big box organic, um, carrot makers, (laughs) we'll just go with the carrots, um, (laughs) in California. Like, I mean, yeah, they're, they're organic quote unquote, but like, who knows what other practices they're using. Um, but sorry, back to your original question. I mean, pesticides are designed to kill critters and when they enter your system, they're going to have a similar impact on your gut flora. And again, you know, kind of the touch point of this conversation, like the health of our microbiome and our large intestines is one of the most important elements of our overall health that dictates so much dictates our mood, our immune system. And, um, yeah, to think that, you know, when you're drinking chlorine in your tap water and pesticides on your vegetables every day, like that's kind of one of the reasons why in the Western world, we have this like epidemic of absence. So, you know, obviously it's a financial investment and it's just hard, you know, you can't, you go to 
restaurants, sometimes you don't always know where they source their food. And even some of the ones that claim to have, you know, their organic pasture raised chicken, like, you know, there's been some exposés to show that that's not always the case either, but you just do the best you can. And if you can afford to do so, and again, just like make the conscious effort to make that change um, on your grocery bill, I think it really pays off and especially pays off, you know, with animal products, like avoiding antibiotics in your animals. Again, what happens when you eat those antibiotics is the same thing. It's, it's unfortunate, but true. And 80% of the antibiotics in this country go towards livestock. Um, That's crazy as a statistic. Uh Uh-huh. That's insane. So I think, yeah, it can have a huge impact, but not, it's not something to like really stress over. My kind of big takeaway from the project is like set yourself up at home as best you can. And then when you're out in the world, it gives you more wiggle room to be flexible. So you have quite the following between your blog and your books and Instagram and other social media what are some of the stories, you know, from things, changes that you've inspired in those people who are following your story? What have you heard from them? Oh, oh my God. So many. I'm trying, I can't hone in on a specific one because my brain is mush, but I do, I did actually create a program off the back of that book called Four Weeks to Wellness. And we've had almost like 800 women through it, which is amazing. And I used this picture from this one wonderful alum, alumna Gina um, in my marketing materials, because it is just truly like so wild, but um, we do the vice detox week one. That's, that's all we do. Just those three, just for a week. And her skin on day five, it was, I mean, she showed like the before and after and it was crazy. Like she had like a full face of acne at the beginning and then it was gone. She was like, I'm like glowing. (laughs) She literally posted in the group. She was like, am I crazy? Like, do you guys see this? (laughs) That's awesome. And I'm sure you've seen so many more stories of, of success and what are the struggles that people see? Like what's the kind of most common difficulty people going through that program? especially now that I'm doing more on SIBO, like a lot of people with digestive distress, not necessarily like diagnosed with SIBO, but just IBS for years and years and years and years. Like for most women, like we've been battling this for a long time. And for a lot, a lot of SIBO people, you know, they've just escaped diagnosis for many, many, many years. Um, And of course that just means, unfortunately, like the time to healing is going to be a long road, but I think it's hopeful, um, especially getting an answer, you know, that at least gives you some sort of path forward. Whereas IBS, like pretty much like the tools are just kind of band-aids. Yeah. Well, I think your story is so fascinating and I love what you're doing, especially on Instagram. Your Instagram is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, So thanks for that, you know, eye pleaser. Uh, (laughs) Tell everybody how to connect with you and your books and all the things online. Yeah. So if you're on Instagram, I'm at Phoebe Lapine, just my name. Um, my website's feedmephoebe.com. That's where I have tons of free recipes and resources, um, free info on SIBO. It's where you can find my podcast, SIBO Made Simple. And then SIBOMadeSimple.com is where you can find the book about SIBO. Um, and the wellnessproject.com is where you can find info on that book and also my four weeks to wellness program. Perfect. So then as you know, I like to wrap all these episodes up with two truths and a lie. And this is funny when Phoebe joined the 
uh, recording, the first thing she said to me, not hello, not how you doing. I'm excited about two truths and a lie. And so I am super excited to hear what your two truths and a lie are. So in no particular order and without giving away which one's not true, take it away. (laughs) Okay. Hold on. I have to like think of my order. (laughs) (laughs) No particular order. (laughs) All right. It's an injury themed one. Okay. I once broke three toes in my sleep. I once broke my wrist taking off a shoe. I once broke my foot jumping over a couch. Wow. I have not broken that many bones and I'm sorry that you have. I've broken more than even that list can contain. (laughs) Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everybody go find Phoebe Lapine online and definitely go check out her Instagram and her books. Thank you for all the advice and the information. Everybody, this has been the Shandyland podcast. Thanks for sticking around and we'll talk to you soon.